Clint, how you doing? I'm doing well, man. Y'all can call me dirty from now on because I plan on getting dirty with George's ass. I'll give you the politically non-correct answer. Let the nuts hang. Let the fly, man. Well, you never know what the hell is going to go on in Morgantown. You get off the bus, it smells like straight whiskey. Whatever a 50-year-old white man's out here doing a gritty that night, you know? Whatever. We'll but no, I'm saying, the lights went out. Don't worry, guys. Don't it's worry. Dabo doing the gritty. I say right foot creep. Cheers, boys. To the field of 12 after dark we are powered by bet rivers check us out on the series xm app we appreciate you joining us if you want some swag field of 68.shop as basketball season is creeping in here so there's a lot of good stuff uh, to check out there i'm your host tonight yogi roth joined as always by clint sterner and excited tonight we got my man mr knight he's retired unfortunately folks to try to get him to play some european football but i learned prior to the show that that it's all over trev trevor knight um clint fellas we got a lot to talk about uh i want to check in we got the cfp we got news in auburn we've got some big games this weekend it's hard to believe it's only november so with that said i'm going to start it with my toast of the night how can't you come off a halloween on a high so i'm going to toast our favorite moment from last night whatever it is that you did i will begin first my favorite part of halloween Ever since I've been married and had kids, my wife, she always designs the costumes from the ground up, from scratch, try to piece it together. We have a good time. We take a picture, and then it's pandemonium, much like college football. So I'm going to cheers to that. Clint, what you got? Well, here, cheers to you first and foremost. Um, I'm going to tell you, I, I'm going to cheers to a young lady named Catherine Schindler. My baby girl's eight months old. Old, her first her first Halloween, and uh, she was a baby flamingo. My wife found a uh, a costume which was one of those ready made zip ups, had real fur on it and everything. I don't even want to know how much it cost, and uh, it, was, it was as cute as you could imagine. Well, Friday afternoon, I'm sitting, I'm sitting in a in a bar restaurant, fine establishment called the Armadillo Palace in Houston, Texas. And this company's having this meeting behind me, see, Trev. And I can see them through there, and they're having a good time, having some drinks. And they open the doors, the meeting adjourns, and everybody starts pouring out of there, you know. And this gal comes out. I don't know, she's probably 25, 26 years old. And she's got one of them damn costumes on that it may, you know, you wear it, and it comes up about, about chest high, and it looks like you're riding whatever animal it is. You know what I'm talking about? Where like there's two little fake legs coming out of the side and then your legs are actually the animal. Yeah. Guess what animal it was, fellas? Armadillo. No, it was a pink flamingo, yo. <laughs> and my baby girl's a pink flamingo. So I immediately, before I even knew what the hell I was doing, I jumped up and I said, I got to have it. I got to have it. I'm going to buy it from you. Anyway, I ended up donating $100 to some fundraiser thing she had. And I was... I was the father flamingo, daddy flamingo, if you will, <laughs> for my baby girl, who was uh, the cutest flamingo and all. So, Catherine Schindler, if I wouldn't have ran into you Friday evening, I wouldn't have been daddy flamingo for my baby girl. I appreciate you. Cheers, daddy, daddy right flamingo. That's, stuff, that, that's your. We need a T-shirt to fill the sixty-eight dot shop. Daddy flamingo. Daddy flamingo. Daddy flamingo. <laughs> Who's your daddy flamingo? Love it. <laughs> All right, Trev, what you got, man? Right, so I got a disadvantage tonight because I was on the show last night and oh, I did cheers yeah. right after uh, Halloween, going out, getting some candy. There was a young man who uh, was dressed up as a police officer and he arrested me at my own front door and I gave him the, the toast last night. But I'm going to give a toast tonight to my wife because she is really good at convincing me that her way is the best way. And 99 point, excuse me, I'll say this, 100% of the time, <laughs> he's right. And I'm a guy that I want to wait to get the Christmas up. You know, let's wait till after Thanksgiving. Oh, no. The guys were here this morning putting the, the Christmas lights on the peak of the house. Damn. Reefs up. We got Christmas lights on at the night household tonight. On November first, so cheers to my wife for convincing me to do crazy things. Cheers, oh, cheers to, that. to that, Mama Night. Wow, I'll tell you, we uh we dressed up as Luca, the Pixar movie, 
it's hilarious. Everyday little Italian accent we were going. But as I was uh, late night, I was doing a late night scroll last night. And I saw a, an amazing comment, our friend, uh, Mr. Golick, the younger Golick. He said, you know what? Thanksgiving is a day. Halloween is a day. But Christmas is a season. So you know what? <laughs> you and your wife, it's the season as you begin the, the, the Christmas lights. Congratulations on that. It's also the season for the CFP. And I don't know about you guys, but as I was watching it, I was very curious to see what trend we might learn from the committee, from the chair. What little kernels can you pick up in the post-release interview? I'd like to give you my big takeaways. I want to hear yours. And we're going to break the whole thing down. My first takeaway was TCU getting hosed. The second takeaway was Clemson getting a lot of praise, in my opinion, a lot on historicals versus what we've seen. I think TCU's path has been dramatically more challenging than Clemson's path in terms of opponents played. And I thought out of all the teams that were talked about tonight, the team that got respected the most was Texas A&M because it looks like a win over A&M just pulls you right up the charts, which blew my mind when I looked at where some of the teams were after close games against Jimbo Fisher's team. Now, with that said, there's some facts that I think are important. Five teams from the Pac-12 hop into the top 25, five from the SEC and the ACC, four from the Big 12 and the Big 10. So mathematically, there's some nice balance where we kick this thing off. But I, I, I was... I was a little bit surprised on the things that I referenced. Clint, I'd like to start with you. Your initial thoughts, and then we're going to break it down. We'll start at our top four, top six, top eight, and kind of see if we have, think there should be some movement. Yeah, I mean, guys, for me, I think the first thing that sticks out is Tennessee at number one. I think they got that right. I think they got it absolutely right. When you when you look at the eye test, when you look at the you know Heisman candidate that's running the show, when you um, when you look at the resume, obviously, it's it, I think the right thing to do at this point in time, was for Tennessee to be the number one team in the country. Um, I, I'm fine with Ohio State and Georgia where they're at. Makes sense. Um, Ohio State, with a little bit of validation last week, beating a ranked team, beating a team that's above 500 in Penn State. Um, and then, as you mentioned, you get to Clemson. I just don't know how on God's green earth anybody that's been watching college football this year thinks Clemson is the number four ranked team in America right now. Don't I, I, I don't know how you get there. Um I think there's several teams that that could be in that position, um, and you, you again you mentioned them TCU, uh, Michigan, um, you know to, for for starters the undefeated two. So the, the, I think one and four are the two that stuck out for me. Good job. I tip my cap to the committee for getting Tennessee right and not just putting Georgia or Ohio State there because of the logo and because um, the history, if you will. Um, and, and then on the flip side of it, number four, I just don't know how you put Clemson there. I know why you do. I know why you do. Cause they're, they're more than likely going to run the table and they're already in. So you're going to have to find a reason to justify moving them out. Um, but it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me there at number four. Trev? I wonder, you know, at, at the first college football rankings that we came out tonight, do they sit around this table for a week and really get into the nitty gritty? Is there is there really that much stress in the room? Un, undo the tie, sweating, bring in more water. You know, I, I don't think there is. And, and the reason behind that is I think they missed on a couple of these teams here. And you guys touched on them. I think as they get to hey, the, the real deal where we're really trying to pick the final four where it's got bowl implications where it's got national championship implications, that's when the stress sets in. The criteria and the rubric, I think, has to be much more broad at this point in the race, and it gets narrower and narrower and narrower as we get into the season. I'm with you, Clint. I like the Tennessee pick at the top. I think they have the most moxie and the most um, – uh, and I'm going to use this word adrenaline. They just they're 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 fed by adrenaline, and they've got adrenaline moving through this um, through this season. Now you look at it: Tennessee, Georgia, both top four teams. One of them is going to be out after this weekend, right? So so you can write a whole bunch of storylines and hoop and ha over a bunch of different things, but there will be tons of movement in this top 25. I was watching the show, and I I do think that this was an interesting stat. 
Tennessee getting the number one nod there in the in the first college football rankings. Um, there's only one team in the the college football playoff era that got ranked number one in the first ranking and did not finish in the top four, and that was Mississippi State uh, with with Dak Prescott. Oh, wow. So getting the number one seed does say a lot historically about that team and so we'll see if Josh Heupel can do it they interviewed him afterwards he had a big old smile on his face it was a whole lot of fun to watch and I think he's doing real big things but um, overall thoughts you could slice and dice this in a million ways which I know we're about to but uh, I like Tennessee at the top I think the rubric's really really broad at this point yeah it's a good point I I think it's important to note the rebuild of Tennessee because it is amazing Right. Like even for if it's just the next couple of days, let's just say they lose Saturday, like what they were and where they've been off the charts, like big time props to that program. Celebrate the daylights out of it. And I think anybody like I look at Tulane celebrate. How about Carolina where they started the season? You weren't sure. Celebrate Oregon State out here on the West Coast. Celebrate it. Uh, but to that point, the TCU one really shocked me because they beat ranked teams. And I thought it was interesting what the committee said. They were like, we look for balance. I think was the comment. You know, we look for balance. I'm looking for balance from a seven-year-old right here. (laughs) Getting in there, baby. Sure you do your homework. Okay. You know the deal. Okay. Perfect. Um, He's blown away by Tennessee too, or uh, by TCU as well. That to me was the one that really stood out. And I think when I heard the comment from the chair where he was like, we look for balance. I don't see a ton of balance everyone that's that's better than them or at least like we're like it's it's really competitive balance like I look at some teams that are a little out of whack on both sides of the ball or at least week to week nobody's been perfectly balanced and I thought tonight by setting the stage for TC where they put them puts them in a unique position now if they went out they're gonna go in my opinion I think if you're an undefeated power five champ you're gonna go but to be behind Clemson just shocked me to, to be able to watch this team and what they wait yo wait yo you, you think if TCU wins out they're gonna go oh yeah yeah I think if I, I think if there's five undefeated conference champ or four undefeated power five conference champs TCU's undefeated I think they'll get in Clemson will get in Michigan or Ohio State's gonna get in and I think if it's an undefeated Tennessee or if it's a whatever the one loss champ is or the undefeated champion from the SEC was gonna go. But I I would be blown away if they if you run the table, and there's only four conferences that can do that right now. Yeah, that, that you wouldn't get in. Oh no, I, you- I I agree with you. I agree with you that you shouldn't. And, and I think it. I think the fact that there's even any doubt is is a is a major problem. But I'm gonna be honest with you. Anybody that sits there right now and put Clemson at four, and TCU at seven, and puts Alabama at six, and TCU at seven. I don't have any faith that they're gonna that that they're gonna do what's right when the final four, you know, comes out. Now they're gonna do what's right if we were talking about an Alabama or a Clemson or a Michigan, you know, on the outside looking in. Then I think they would stand a chance. But they've set the precedence, man. I mean, like I said, who's watched football? Who's watched college football this year and has Clemson number four in America right now? Who? Nobody outside of Clemson, South Carolina. That's right. I mean, I, like, and, and the fact that they're three spots ahead of an undefeated TCU that's put a better brand of football on the field and played a more difficult schedule. I mean, I, I don't know. In Alabama, I mean, look, this isn't your, this isn't, this isn't your typical Alabama. I mean, Alabama's been vulnerable. They've played teams that shouldn't even be on the field with them closer than they should have, and they've lost a football game. They shouldn't be ranked above TCU right now. Totally. And that's where the balance thing kind of threw me out of whack, where I was like, what? What balance are we talking about? Like, uh, yeah, it, that one to me is keep it, keep an eye on that one, right? Like, and for TCU, I would, I think that's all, not that they need motivation, but if they did, they've got it as you yeah. look at how their schedule kind of tracks here the rest of the way. The thing that I like about TCU in the Big 12, and then every conference will eventually follow suit, and we have in the Pac 12, is top two teams are going to play each other. So we'll see if K-State can win out, but then there's a rematch, right? And that would never happen in the SEC. Heck, Georgia and Alabama never play play each other in the regular season unless it's 2020 pandemic. Here's an interesting thought, and it's just a scenario based off TCU. 
let's say TCU goes goes ahead. They win out. They win the Big 12. Clemson does as well. They're in. Let's say Ohio State does as well, and, and they're in. Okay. okay. Alabama comes out of the West to the SEC and undefeated either Tennessee or Georgia, the winner of this week's game, faces them in the SEC title game. Alabama wins the game. So Alabama's in. So now you have to make a decision over an undefeated TCU team or a Tennessee or Georgia team that probably barely loses to Alabama in the SEC title game. And you're telling me that TCU is a shoo-in because they're an undefeated Power 5 champ over Tennessee or Georgia when Bryce Young, the reigning Heisman Trophy winner, just has a heck of a night in the SEC title game. So here's but the Trev, the, pro- the, 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 the problem with that right there is that it shouldn't be TCU in that, in that equation. It should be Clemson. I mean, at this point in time, it should be Clemson butted up against your one-loss SEC okay. team. So you, but, but based off what they put right here, right now, oh, fair, they gotcha. like Clemson. Because our TCU would have to jump Clemson at some point. And if Clemson wins out, they've right here. They think Clemson's got better resume, better team, better logo. They've been there before. All those different things. Yeah, right? it's, a, it's, a good, it's, a, it's a great scenario that you've laid out. I'm curious your take. This is my experience on when I was coaching at SC, I did not realize it until I got in the belly of it, how hard it is to go undefeated. Like it is, it is, it is nearly impossible, which is why we don't see it that often. I would hope that the people in that room that have been in those rooms on the football side, and that's what you hear all the time. Like, what do the football people think? Like whether former coaches or players or what have you, I wonder if that gets brought up because I just think like the pressure is ratcheted versus having a loss. I just think it's a totally different animal. And then I go to like, I don't know if you guys have done like the mock playoff selections. It's pretty cool. You go to Dallas and they put you through it and you pick a year and you kind of go through that process. Whenever it's tight, they'll go to certain tiebreakers. First one is conference championships. So I think for me looking on the outside in, if that scenario plays out, I'd be so intrigued. Because it's written, it's 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 in bold exactly what the tiebreakers are. You know, they go common opponents, or it starts with um, uh, conference title, common opponents, conference games. Like here we are, eight versus nine conference games. Like I would love the committee to be put in that predicament <clears throat> because TCU is playing nine conference games, Clemson's playing eight. Whoever loses in that SEC title game is only playing eight. Most of them have a sorry week eleven opponent, or it was Tennessee's last week. Like they had that that moment so I don't, I don't know Trev like I, I I'd love to see that I don't picture. know either and, and in in that scenario completely just said Pac-12 you got no shot at this at all because well, there's that's not going to be the champion but you're well, but you're I, also saying if they're undefeated I would say that like if there's undefeated conference champs if there's three undefeated conference champs then one conference champ that well <laughs> Well, if it's the if it's the SEC, that's the one loss conference champ. I think we'd all know how that world works. So you're saying a one loss conference champ, Alabama, has to get in because their one loss would be to Tennessee over a one loss Pac-12 champ, Oregon, whose only loss is to Georgia. No, I I I wouldn't. I would make the argument the other way. But I think if I was going to predict what would the committee do if Alabama is able to be whoever wins this weekend between Tennessee and Georgia in the SEC title game and wins their league. And even if, let's just say it's Oregon. Oregon has the hardest path among anybody in the top 25. They're going to play, possibly, if SC goes to the title game, every single Pac-12 teams that ranked. Here's the example. So I'm on the team that presents to the CFP on behalf of the league, and we presented six teams with top 25 and the CFP. The sixth one was Washington, who's probably on the, probably like around 30, I'd imagine, right now. They're playing Oregon State this Friday night. So whoever wins that game is going to be ranked next week. Oregon plays UW. Oregon plays Utah in week 11. Oregon has already played UCLA. And they may play SC. Nobody has anything like that. So I think there's a legitimate case in that regard for a one-loss Oregon. If they're doing what they've done and Bo continues, Bo Nix continues to play at the level that he's at, for sure. And I'll be the first guy at the party throwing that argument down. 
but I'd be really curious to see how the people in that room view that. And, and again, the number one thing I took out of tonight was the chair said, quote, we don't value the conference. We evaluate the team. And I sat back and I was like, okay, I never heard anybody really say that before. But why are all these teams ranked high that beat AM? And it seems like they're getting credit to beat a three-win conference AM team, which we all have talked about over the course of the season of like they've struggled on every level. Ole Miss gets play off of that, Bama gets yeah, play off of that. I mean, that. but yo, that I mean, that's and I agree with you wholeheartedly. I mean, there's still dudes out there in hell on our field of 12 that when I bring up Ohio State strength to schedule, they want to tell me about them beating Notre Dame. I mean, that's not it ain't that's not just unique to AM. I mean that that's everybody that has a strength of schedule problem wants to look like an AM. I got a buddy of mine's AM guy. He wants to tell me how they beat number 13 in the country and, and number 10 in the country, Arkansas and Miami. Ain't neither one of them anywhere to be found right now in the in the top in the top 25. Like, they don't count. Like as you can't, we can't, that's not how the like, committee looks at it either. Right, right. I mean, but say it again. That's my point. Like the committees they don't look at AP ranked wins. They look at like where are you? at the end of the year, like what type of win was that? That's where I was surprised that Ole Miss and Alabama were where they are based on seemingly a win over an average to below average A&M team. Well, I mean, well, I mean, either you're saying either they do or they don't. Like if you're surprised that they're ranked where they are because they beat an A&M team that ain't worth a damn, and people are looking at. I mean, clearly they're clearly the committee. They may say one thing, but clearly they're giving them credit for that win. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. That, yeah. I mean, I, like I, away from it. I, I don't under like I can't even wrap. But guys, I can't even wrap my damn head around. And I look, I would love for everybody that's played Arkansas to go, man, we beat Arkansas number ten in the country. But where we're sitting right now, we know. And I said it then, Arkansas don't deserve to be the top ten in the country. What are we doing? Like, how do you even have a serious conversation with somebody that doesn't look at opponents, like strength of schedule and opponents week eight, where they sit week eight versus where they were week one or two? And I understand there's outliers where a team may have lost a Heisman Trophy candidate and the, and the, and the, the dynamic of the team completely changes. But when it's, when it's just generally speaking, we're going to give everybody credit for every win – Versus teams that were ranked at week two or week four or week five. That's plumb ass silly to me. Like the reality of it is the strength of schedule changes every single week. And, and Yogi, it sounds like you, you've got the inside scoop to some extent of, of what's going on in, in the minds of, of the decision makers at the CFP. And so let's, let's talk about Clemson. If that is truly what they're saying, where you're at right now, how do they put Clemson ahead of Michigan when Michigan just played really well against Penn State and Clemson struggled against a Syracuse team that turns around and gets beat pretty good Notre Dame? Based on that rubric, how does that make sense? Yeah, so the way that it works, and again, I'd recommend any, any journalist, you know, if you're in college sports, college football, you can go do this. And you go down to Texas and uh, you go to the hotel and you literally go through a mock exercise. When I did it, I was Rob Mullins. If you remember him, he's the athletic director at Oregon. He was the chair. So I got to really learn, like, what's it like to be the chair of the committee? It was fascinating, man. We went through – our year was the year where um, uh, Baylor and TCU, that whole dialogue, I think it was 2013, maybe 2014. I can't recall exactly. Uh, but it's amazing. And what you do is, okay, you have multiple votes. So you get in there and you start to chunk teams. All right, who are your first three? Who are your next three? And you kind of work your way down. And you start to comp, or what if they played them? Do they have any common opponents? What are some of the stats? What are my eyes telling me? What's the argument? And, and I think, Trev, how you started the night, it's probably fair in terms of week one, like I, I kind of call it like a context night. Because even like when you present the information on the teams, as every conference did last week, you're presenting context. Let me tell you about, let's do the Pac-12 version. Let me tell you about Oregon's roster. Let me tell you about what happened to them this offseason. Let me tell you about why and how they've gotten so connected since that first game of the season. Just give us some context. And then let me give you some facts. Let me tell you about the players that they have, the evaluations that we have, the numbers that we have, the opponents they have, what they've done in the middle eight, whatever you have. So you're trying to give talking points to your respective league. And then all those people are on the receiving end of every conference's conference call goes back and represents the league 
in front of the committee. So each league has two members that represent each respective league. And they come back and say, okay, well, let me tell you about Oregon, Utah, USC, UCLA, Oregon State, and Washington, for instance, in the pack. And they present that case. Everybody absorbs that information. And then they go back and hear from all the other leagues. And then they come in and they begin their voting process. Boom, boom, boom. And within that, a lot of times, especially later, I don't know how much they're doing it now, per your point, later they'll start to say, okay, well, let's take a look at, let's just say it's Michigan versus Clemson. Michigan's O-line versus Clemson's de defensive front. What do the numbers tell us? What does the film tell us? What does the presentation tell us? What are the injuries? What's the projection? Okay, based on Sunday, Monday, post whatever week and whatever the game is, let's all call week 11, this is what we feel. Boom. And they'll lay it down and then move forward. And, and that's exactly how the process goes in terms of how they're picking and slotting different teams. Do you think it's too complicated? That's oh my God. super complicated. Too complicated. Yeah. I mean, there has to be a process. Like the, there's part of it that you're like, wow, this is beautiful. But then there's also like the recusal process where like if you are associated with that school or have a family member associated with that school, like you can't talk about that school. And on one hand, that makes a ton of sense. But what if nobody's in the room making an argument for that team? What, you know, like, but, I, but I also, I look at that model and I'm like, all right, if I walked in and I was presenting <laughs> a case for a team or a conference or, or what have you, and Clint's doing the same thing for another conference. Clint's better looking than I am. Clint's uh, got better words than I do, more likable than I am. So I, I'm going down just based off of sales at that point. Well, no, right? I mean, well, that's where the people in the room, and this is where the, I think the part that the public, we have, you go one way or the other. Like at some point, and this is where I lean because I just want to lean on the positive of these 13 people were chosen to represent the sport. And I've been around a lot of the people in the committee and they take you through, like Rick George, the athletic director at Colorado. He's shown me and taken me through how he evaluates. These guys are carrying it like it's another full-time job. They're watching the All-22. They have their cut-ups. They have their stats. They go through it all week. They're watching games prior or post the game that their respective school is playing at if they're an athletic director. So I think they're dialed. So like you trust that it's not just about the presentation that they're receiving, like they're doing their own evaluation. The books they have on information and stats and research is, is, is everything you could dream of if you were going to be on a committee like that. So it's not like 13 people roll in on whatever Friday or Saturday or Sunday, whatever, pending the time of the year and just throw their feet up and say, Hey, give me the best presentation limit. This is what I think. Like there's a ton of detail put into the procedure because I think all 13 people in the room, understand the responsibility they have to the sport like the question is is like the nuanced element and that's that's the human part of this thing like each one of them probably view the game a little bit different and then where do they lean when it's tight to the former coach to the former player like that's the part we'll never know understood i i just think it's complicated based on the way that you the, the way that you presented it but I pity the fool that has to be on the on the committee. It's like, wow, what an incredible honor. We'd all love a seat at that table. But part of me is also like, I, I don't know if I want a seat at that table. That's a tough, tough decision to make. I kind of fall somewhere in between. <laughs> I'd, I'd get ran up out of the room, boys, in the first hour. <laughs> It'd be like, uh, sir, we're going to have to ask you to pipe down. I'm going to get three warnings to get kicked out. <laughs> You'd love it, man. All right, so um, all in all, First ranking is done and over. We'll see what happens as the week goes on. We'll obviously be debating this all week. Let us know what you think. Uh, it's always fun to hear what people think on social media. Uh, but overall, the first one is here. And now we'll see how this thing shakes out. It's going to change dramatically over the course of the next month, just based on the head-to-heads within the current top 25. And then I think that'll be the really fun part. Yeah. I think we'll learn a lot about the committee. Yo, the, the reality of this thing is this, man, is – like with the college football playoffs, the way this thing it, – it, it should work itself out in a way that three teams, any way that we slice it, any way that the committee slices it, they're in the college football playoffs. And one of the teams that may not be in that top three, in, in my opinion right now as we sit today, would be Clemson. And then that that undefeated team – I don't give a – I don't give a damn about conference – I mean, conference championship and all that – I mean, if they don't run the table in that conference in the ACC being Clemson, then you don't even deserve to be in the conversation, right? But when it, when you watch Clemson play, if they go undefeated and they're in that four spot, the conversation should be between, like right now, 
I think Oregon deserves to be in that conversation from the Pac-12. Even even up butted up against Clemson, an undefeated football team. I think I think Alabama or Tennessee, Georgia, whichever one of those teams emerges as the one-loss football team, I think they deserve to be in that conversation with right now who I, again I would say would be Clemson. This thing should all boil down to the that one team in the that number 4 spot. And if there's one undefeated team that just is, is suspect and all the one-loss teams that you know are, are the better teams in college football. And we have a very simple conversation about three or four schools, and it doesn't seem like it'd be too difficult to find the right one. Yeah. I mean, the, the thing that the CFP does every year, I think, is shines a big, bright light on the inequities in college football. Not monetarily not within your staff or if you have a water slide or not in your facility, but around the games. Like I still think conference games and how like you can play eight in one league and nine in another blows my mind with where we are in the sport. And to Clemson, they're going to benefit possibly from that to your point of their schedule. I mean, they finished the thing up. We'll see what happens off a of bye and they get Notre Dame. There's a lot to talk about within this team. I think the last time we talked about this team was two weeks ago and it was who's the quarterback. There's a lot to talk about. Then they get a Louisville team that's tracking Miami, South Carolina. Well, I, I, I don't know. I wouldn't. I'm glad you bring that up. How, how in the hell did anybody look at Clemson and say their own coach doesn't Clemson. think their quarterback's playing well enough? We need to put a rookie in or a freshman in that ain't done a damn thing, and he's got to bring us back against Syracuse. But that's the number four team in the country. That's what we're going to ride with out of the gate here. How in the hell does that happen? No way. Especially when you do the, what I referenced of like, all right, if Clemson played Michigan or Clemson played Bama or if Clemson played like TCU, like, to, to your point, there were so many unknowns that I was like, whoa, how? How on God's green? Like, how did you do that? We don't, know who's, we don't even know who's going to play well at quarterback, let alone who's going to start at quarterback against Notre Dame. And we know DJ's the guy based on the postgame comments, but. Yeah, that'll be one to track. It would be interesting, or it would be acceptable if there wasn't that many undefeated teams. If there weren't two, yeah, there are three undefeated teams. teams two undefeated, yeah, two undefeated teams that are better than them. That it it doesn't make any sense. I am looking at this list, and I'm trying to see, okay, how far can I go to find outside of the top ten, the top eight, so on and so forth, and find a team that could rise to the ranks and get to a playoff. And, and I've got two. I've got two picked out. I'm curious if you guys can take a glance and see the two teams I'm thinking of that have a far-out chance but, uh, but could end up being conference champions of two of the best conferences and get in. I'll give you a hint. One's at number 10 and one's all the way at number 16. You think LSU with two losses? Illinois, I hear LSU, you. That's kind of cool. LSU beats Alabama and goes to the West as the representative and knocks off Tennessee or Georgia. And then the SEC title holder, are they out two losses? What if Oregon loses and then the Pac 12's out? I wouldn't but Oregon, that. You know, what, or, or, or what if Oregon and what if the two loss? Conference champion in the Pac-12, right? I mean, there's just so many things. But I think LSU could potentially, they're playing pretty well, find a way, far out chance, small percentage, to beat Alabama, go to the West, win the SEC. It'd be part of the conversation. And then Illinois is the interesting one. One loss, can they come out of the West of their division and knock off a juggernaut, Ohio State or Michigan, and, and be a one-loss Big Ten champ? Yeah, I mean, you look, Illinois is interesting to me because you got a shitty loss really early in the season. We we watched Ohio State overcome that 6-6 six and six loss at home versus Virginia Tech the year they won the national title. I believe it was Ezekiel Elliott and those guys. I think maybe it was before that. You you would know you would know what year I'm talking about. But, you know, yeah, that, that the Illinois is, is an interesting, interesting run to me because they're they're going to get to they're going to get to a potential. I mean, hell, not potential. I mean, it looks like they're going to get to the, the, the championship game, right? Yeah. 
And if they could if they could upset one team, I don't think it's enough, but they they could damn sure be up there making noise. Yeah, the Purdue game will be the one, right? Like in terms of who represents their division that comes up in uh two weeks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it'd be fun to watch that Brett Bielema. He'll be up for at least as of today, coach of the year conversation with how he's rebuilt that thing. I think a team to to your point, I love the analogy, Trev, of I look at UCLA. Like UCLA is seven and one. They're going to host USC. Who's going to continue to grow. Just assume they win this weekend, the week after that. Um, If they then go beat a team for the second time, because that's what they'll have to do. They'll have played everybody that's ranked ahead of them. They already played Utah. They beat them. They lost at Oregon and they'll have played SC. If they beat SC, that'll knock SC out. Most assuming chaos doesn't happen. Then they'll have to play possibly an undefeated conference champ in Oregon. Nobody's ever been undefeated in Pac-12 play in the conference in the regular season, ever, which is oh, kind wow. of a surprise to yeah. – yeah, exactly. Like, nobody really knows that. Like, since it wow. expanded to 12, nobody's been able to run the table within the league. So if they're able to beat Oregon and avenge that loss in Austin where they did move the ball, it was a hell of a game if you go back and watch it. I think a one-loss conference champ UCLA, Chip Kelly and Dorian Thompson-Robinson and one of the best backs in the country, Zach Charbonnet, be pretty – I think that could be an outside looking in team. That's why I think the pack, at least for us out on the West Coast, like today, it feels pretty good because it's been a minute, right? I think 2019, we had two teams in the top 10, but haven't had five since I think it was 2018, maybe in the initial rankings. So it's cool to see kind of the league in that regard because everybody's going to have to play each other. And if one can emerge either unscathed or with just one loss, then I think they'll put themselves in legit yeah. position for a dialogue. Yeah, and, and yo, know, all three of those teams, whoever emerges, we, we don't need to speculate, whichever one of those teams emerges as a one-loss champion, right? I mean, I guess all hell could break loose and it, it, a champion could be have less than one, one loss, but I mean, more than one loss. But that team, whoever it is, should be considered, they're, they're, mark my word, there will be an undefeated football team that we, all three of us, and hell, all the field of 12, we can get a little Zoom with all these damn windows and pop everybody's head in there. And and, and there wouldn't be one guy that would tell us, man, I don't, I don't know if I don't know if one or two of those one-loss teams ain't better than one of the undefeated teams. I mean, yeah. that's going to happen. That's going to be the conversation that needs to be had in, in four or five weeks, however long it is when they have that final that – final, uh, uh, ranking come out. Yeah, I'm with you. Last note on this league, at least from the West Coast, I'll tell you, if I took a healthy Utah, which I'm calling their game this weekend, so hopefully Cam Rising is back and didn't play last week, but a healthy Utah, healthy SC, because they didn't have Jordan Addison or Mario Williams, an offensive lineman, two linebackers last week, and they went over Arizona. UCLA or Oregon, I take all of them over Clemson. What do you think? You guys have seen them. Uh, this shows how much I know. At the beginning of the year, leading up to the Florida-Utah game, I was like, man, I really like Florida in this one. Um, it'll tell me a lot about the, the Pac-12. Utah came out and played good. They didn't win. I'm like, okay, everybody's like, oh, Florida's this, Florida's that. Utah's pretty good. I'm like, no. Not bought into the Pac-12. Just not. I think they're going to be a subpar conference. I think it's going to be USC and then everybody else. They didn't name Bo Nix the quarterback at Oregon for a long time. I didn't think I didn't think about UCLA, even though they had some firepower coming to the year. I just, hey, Pac-12 at night, Central Central Time Zone folks, and just, just stay out there and beat up on each other. To your point, Yogi. Pac-12 has surprised the heck out of me, and I think it's fantastic for college football. I like Utah a lot, especially a healthy Utah, and I think there's just way too much time left in this season to even speculate because some of these folks are going to beat up on each other. I can't, you know, I can't take two lost teams serious at this point. Not in this conversation. I, I can't. I can't do it. I mean, I just, I don't. I don't think. I don't think we're going to see a year where a group of fives are considered. I don't think this is a year where a two-loss team is considered. Um, I think this one's going to boil down to legit. Do they have the guts to to put the the better team in there that may have a little bit less of a record or may come from a different conference than one of the big two or big three power conferences, um, which we know what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the Big Ten and the SEC, and then for some reason the ACC gets gets more love. 
than the other two. But um, I, I don't think we're going to get there. So I, I can't take two lost teams seriously in this conversation. Yeah. Well, no, I, I meant if they played them, not to get ranked higher than them. But I said oh, okay. if Clemson yeah. and Utah met on a neutral site, who are you picking in the game? Who? I tell you what. You just pause, right? Like, no. I, look, if I had, to, I don't want to bet on either one of them. But if I, if I had, if I had to, if I had to bet my money and the winnings were going to pay my house note next month, I bet on Utah. Yeah. Yeah. So, though, I, I love this dialogue because from my my experience of one time going down to, you know, where the committee meets and sitting in those rooms, this is how it goes. Right? They start talking. Like, Who would you take? Yeah. Why would you take them? And that'll be the fun part as we get out of. Call it a context Tuesday in the first CFP ranking. Yeah. So let, let, let's let's put a bow on that. Um, last 20 minutes of the show. I want to talk about a job opening in Auburn. I don't think anybody thought this would happen as fast as it has for Brian Harson and his offensive staff also got released. And everybody that came with him from Boise State has been released from that program. Uh, what was your initial reaction? I think we all maybe anticipated it. But when you step back and look like big picture, like, damn. I can't believe that Harson era is over. Uh, what what were your thoughts, Clint? I want to start with you because because you operate in in this conference yeah. the most out of the three of us. Um, and also, like, if you were on that committee, like trying to find the next head coach to lead this team, because it's going to happen fast. I'd imagine. I mean, you got four weeks to figure it out. Early signing period. It's December twenty first this year, so it's a week later than normal. But you got to get on the road and get going. So I'll let you have the floor, man. Well, first, like my response to the firing is it's about damn time. I mean, look, I, I think I think the worst thing that any program in college or any organization in the NFL can do is hang on to a lame duck coach. Fair or fair or not, whether you believe what what went on with Harson or not, I, I, I completely I don't have any skin in the game. I don't care if the situation with the young lady that came from Boise State is legit or not. Um, I don't care if, you know, it's legit, you know, the, the uh, reports last week that he was telling guys you're either playing or you got to leave and get in the transfer portal. Forget all – it doesn't matter whether it's whether those, those are true reports or accurate reports or not. The fact that it's going on in your program and players are legitimately entering the transfer portal and coaches are legitimately leaving and ADs are quitting and other ADs that are currently employed by – I believe it's the Tennessee AD congratulating the Auburn AD for getting out of that situation. Whatever, whoever's to blame, don't care. That is a dysfunctional organization, a dysfunctional program, and you flat ass can't win with it. You, you, you can't win with it anywhere in America, much less in the SEC West. You're never going to win ball games with, with that being the case. So, I, to me, it was one of those about damn time. Nip to bud. Let what is it? Cadillac Williams now is the the, uh, the interim head coach. You know who it is. Yeah. Let sure. hey, let, let him let him mend some fences with the with the boosters. Let him keep as many of them dudes as he can that are that are currently in the locker room and good players in the future. Let him wrap his arms around them, meet with their parents, and keep as many of them as they can in that locker room. This ain't 1990s or the early 2000s, fellas. Uh, it, it used to, it would take a coach two years to run a program in the ground. He got to go play golf in the offseason instead of recruit for two years for that program to feel the pain. Right now, hey, three months, and your program can be set back three or four years. It's about damn time that they moved on from Brian Harson. Fair or unfair, real or not, true or not reports, accurate or not reports. It's about damn time that they moved on. You know, it, it's a it's a head scratcher for me, though. Uh, great points, Clint. Really great points. And I would argue with that because I am a culture guy, and I think it does take some time to build culture. But why I scratch my head is how did this administration miss so badly on Brian Harson? If he wasn't the right fit culturally, if he wasn't the right head coach, if he wasn't all of these things – how did they miss so bad on? And now you're looking back and you're like, well, we sh shouldn't we have fired Gus Malzahn? Gus Malzahn smiling. He's out, you know, in Florida with a big old grin on his face, having fun, top 25 team, uh, UCF, probably springboard him just like Josh Heupel and others into another big job. And I, I, I want to almost say Malzahn's out there going, 
thank goodness I'm out of that place. It, it, it makes me scratch my head because I think there's something um, much deeper than just who the, the head ball coach is going in on in that athletic program there at Auburn. Because, guys, Auburn is a awesome campus, beautiful campus. It's in the heart of the SEC. It's a great place to go. It's got a ton of history, so on and so forth. Why are they having these troubles? I think you can compare it a lot to the University of Texas, but that's for another show. Hey, Trev, you, you, I've heard reports, and I don't know, maybe you did too, and that's what you're alluding to, but I, I've heard reports that Harson was hired and essentially he wasn't approved throughout their board of regents or whatever the hell they call them at Auburn. And some of those guys are really, really powerful, and, and they've had it out for Harson from jump. Right. And they've, they've tried to they've tried to force him out from jump. So when I say I, I tell you, from my from my perspective, when I say the dysfunction is there, it's very likely that it's starting above Harson's head. And it has more to do with the, than the than just with the culture in the locker room. Bottom line is, though, Trev, and you know this, you can't win with it. Like mm-hmm. you, you, just, you, you can I remember I remember Houston Nutt having problems with the higher ups at Arkansas. Surprisingly, so Gus Malzahn was involved in that too. But but there there were like it got it to a point where he was having to look over his shoulder about with everything. And this dude was an SEC coach of the year. I mean, it, and it was just it wasn't about necessarily the locker room as much as it was the big picture. Um, you know, with with Coach Nutt at the end. And and I, I just I, my, my from my what I've heard um, and, and kind of gauging them all as speculation, it sure seems like it's bigger than just the locker room, bigger than just the culture, and bigger than just the coaching staff. The best programs that I've ever been around, and I'd imagine you'd co-sign, they abide by the following phrase. Workflow wins championships. People just being on the same page. AD, boosters, uh, communications team, coaching staff. Like when I call a game, Every Friday, I go in and I have a production meeting. And I'll ask the head coach, coordinators, and the players, same question. Hey, what's, what's the philosophy of the program? Head coach will lay it out. Coordinators, what's the philosophy on your side of the ball? To the players, hey, what's the philosophy around the locker room within the program? And if it's not somewhere on the same page, somewhere in the same vernacular, I could predict win or loss all day long. And I'd imagine, because if you follow college football, you, you knew that Brian Harson was a winner everywhere he had gone. You knew he was a strong personality. You knew that he had a way about him. He kind of came from that Chris Peterson tree. Uh, you knew what it was. Like, it, I don't think Brian Harson was like uh, the type of guy that, you know, nobody understood his demeanor or his approach. I just wonder when he got there, to your point, w- was there no workflow? Like, clearly, if all the things that you're saying, even if 5% of those are true, Clint, then like, that it's that place, you know, and Harson, I agree, wasn't a great fit there coming from where he's coming from, but man, did it just seem like it never had a chance to get going. That's what it felt like from the outside on the other side of the country. Like, man, this was, this was just not going to work. Yeah. And, and here's the crazy thing to me. And, and I think we saw this in two SEC uh, West schools in recent history, most recently, obviously LSU with, with, oh, and I know there's always stuff going on behind the scenes, but Ed O gets canned and he had just won a national championship. You look at Auburn for as bad as they are right now, and as much turmoil is going on around the coaching staff and internally, all these things we just mentioned. Auburn won a national title not that long ago. Or they won, excuse me, they played in one, right? Uh, against Jameis Winston. That they had they saw success not that long ago. So how does it how do you go from being on top of a mountain and just crashing? that quickly I think it's that I think it's workflow I think it's culture I think it's not having the right people I think it's you know a a donor uh, group and 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 an athletic director that don't see eye to eye Uh, you know you mentioned that they didn't sign off on Brian Harson coming in that's rushing into a deal it's just get some checks and balances in place and let's figure this thing out and hopefully they don't you know strike out again on their next head coach or else things are going to continue going on the same trajectory. Yeah. Interesting, man. I think the first thought I had was like, glad Bo's not there. I thought of Bo Nix to be quite honest with you, because man, that place. um, If if Bo was there, they he'd probably still have a job if we're being honest. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. And I'm not the biggest Bo. I'm not the biggest Bo Nix guy. You, you, you asked about replacements though, yo. Yes. Let's go there. 
You know, I, I think th this is interesting because I, I the Lane Kiffin name is being thrown around. And while I think ultimately you got a better chance of winning a national title at Auburn um, than you do at Ole Miss, um, I don't know that Lane Kiffin entertains that. I, I think if I think if you look at the the legit the, who they should go after, I love you freeze at Liberty. I love Bobby Petrino, and I love Deion Sanders. To me, those are the three. Like you, you want to you, you want like Deion has got to be a guy that I think is going to be a, a big roll of the dice because he's never coached at that level. But when you talk about recruiting against everybody in America, and when you put a guy at Auburn that can recruit against anybody in America, they got the same Jimmys and Joes that Alabama got. They get the same Jimmys and Joes that Ohio State and Clemson and and, and you know all these powerhouses have. And I, I, I think that's what you're gambling on with with Prime. And I think Prime has a, a, a wherewithal of, of of hiring good coordinators and just letting those guys coach versus trying to rule the roost himself. So I really like Prime as a as a follow-up to the kind of coach that I've heard Brian Harson was. I think it's exactly what that program needs from a, a personality perspective. So that's got to be one. And then you look at you Freeze and Bob Petrino. What they do, just flat-ass works, boss. There's there's dudes, there, there, there's, to me, there's coaches that recruit from within their own personality and because they're authentic and because they're they're likable people, real people. And then there's coaches that recruit well because players know they can go there and put up monster numbers and win ball games. And I, I just think that Bobby Petrino and you Freeze are two of those guys that if you're going to accept one of them's flaws, I don't know why you wouldn't accept the other one's flaws. And I think Deion Sanders is the other guy out, kind of out, outside the box you know, possibility that that I think they should consider a meet. Now, Prime ain't going to Wisconsin. Prime ain't going to Nebraska. But in the Southeast Conference at Auburn, ooh, look out. And, and if Lane Kiffin does leave and go to Auburn, Ole Miss better dig into that one as well. All right, Chad, yeah, I, what, what, what's, I the, what's the blueprint? I can't see Lane Kiffin leaving where he's at. I, I think that's a – not even a lateral move. I think that's I think that's taking a step back from where he's gotten on this. I mean, even this year, you know, you, you lose your great quarterback, you go and get one out of the transfer portal and a kid in Jackson Dart playing at a super high level. I think he fits into the culture at, at Ole Miss. I don't see him going over to Auburn um given where he's at now. Now the 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 prime the Deion Sanders one is is interesting to me because I see him I could be extremely wrong, but I see him as a guy that fits really, really well where he's at, picking off one or two big recruits here and there, drives a, a, an interesting culture out of the box, I think is what you said, Clint. Um, but he could just be close enough to the box where it would work, and he would get some dudes that would come there, and they'd have some moxie about him, and it'd be a, an Auburn team that takes the field – unlike any other Auburn team we'd seen in, in, in history, really. So that's an interesting one. The one that I've pulled up, um, and we talked about it a little bit last night, and I think it's a, it's a really good option, would be Matt Rule. Some of, the, some of the things that you had said, Clint, was a guy that can recruit from anywhere, he did that at Baylor. A guy that can build culture very quickly, he did that at Baylor. A guy that can take a team that's in ruin and bring them to the top, he did that at Baylor. Then he goes and he, you know, tests his luck there in the NFL. But I think Matt Rule um, is a guy that has the headspace to go in and be hard-nosed enough to deal with whatever's going on behind the curtain there, but also be able to get a team ready to go out and put a really good product on the football field on Saturdays. I love yeah. that, man. I love that, Trevor. I'm with you 100%, man. There's so much value in a guy that's coached it and recruited and had success at a place that doesn't have all the advantages, right? I mean, there's something there. Um, I, I'm with you. Matt Rule should be at the top of that list as well. I'll be shocked if Matt Rule coaches this year. I'll say that. Uh, I'm with you on Coach Prime, except I hope he comes out to Arizona State. I, I <laughs> what I watch when I, when I see him. I'd be curious, and a lot of the ADs, that I've spoken to, and I'm sure you guys have talked to when there's openings or if they're preparing for an opening, 
They're also looking at the landscape of this ever-changing sport. NIL, transfer portal, can transfer anytime, roster rebuild. Because to your point of like, you can uh, decimate a program pretty fast. You could also flip it. Look at SC. Yeah. Four wins last year, top 10 in the country right now in the first CFP poll, sitting pretty good. So I'll be curious. And a lot of times that, that means to me like younger is what I hear and what I feel when I'm talking to athletic directors, like people that are malleable, like on the cutting edge of those things. Because as we know, the calendar is changing in college football. Like NFL is a way better job in terms of like any semblance of balance in life. I'd be curious to see if we see more hot coordinators get hired in this cycle of coaches based on what's going on with the sport than the Bobby Petrinos of the world coming back. Because it's not like Bobby Petrino's Brian Kelly right now sitting in Notre Dame. Where's he at? Missouri State, I think. Um, so I, I never heard that name for this opening. So intriguing to track that one. Um, our last four minutes here. There's big games this weekend. Let's stay in the SEC. Tennessee, Georgia. And then we got Alabama, LSU. Happy birthday, Coach Saban, I think earlier in the week. Uh, where do you guys net out on those two games? I'll give you each two minutes apiece. Trev, you start, break down both of those, give us your pick, and we'll flip it over to Clint to finish this off. Yeah, you know, I'm going to stick with the CFP rankings on this one. I, I just – I think Tennessee has so much going for them outside of even just the product on the field. I mean, watching Josh Heupel today during his interview, them congratulating him on number one, you know, he – he, he handled it better than I thought he would. I thought he'd be pretty stoic, like, hey, it's early, doesn't matter. He had a grin on his face, and that tells me, hey, man, I know I got something good. You should see these guys in the locker room every day. You should see them on the practice field. I'm in cruise control. I'm not having to coach hard because I got a quarterback that's coaching guys. I got a receiver that's coaching his group. I got a DB that's coaching his group. I got some, you know, some, some walk-ons that are out there and they've got a voice and everybody respects each other. That's what I see when I watch this Tennessee team. And that when you're riding that, that high, man, it is tough to get you off of it, especially with how they're playing and the, the pieces that they have in the puzzle We've shown this year that Georgia is, is capable of, of stooping a little bit. We have not seen that out of Tennessee. So I'm going to go with Tennessee on this one, but circle this thing, kick your feet up on the couch. It's going to be a fun one. Alabama, LSU, my gut tells me Alabama is going to come and, and show out in this one. History says that this is a hard-nosed, hard-fought football game. I think Bryce Young is the difference maker in this one. It's not like past LSU Alabama games. Bryce Young's going to score a ton of points. And uh, it, it may be the end of that conversation we had earlier about LSU's chances of getting to the, to the title game. I think Alabama wins this one um, relatively handily. Road dogs, both roadies. Okay, Clint, where are you going? Yeah, man, look, I'm going to ride with Tennessee as well, and, and here's why. Because we talked a lot about Georgia's ability to reload on the defensive side of the football. And while they obviously have some monsters, you know, in, in the in the channel there to, to fill the voids every year when they lose when they lose players to the draft, I'll give you a number, man. In, in, in 2021, they gave up more than 20 points one time, and that was in the SEC championship to Alabama, right? They've done it three times this year already to Kent State, Missouri – and Florida, they gave up 20. Um, and, and it's still an impressive run that Georgia's defense is on. Don't, don't get me wrong, but what I'm saying is they're, they're gettable, right? And so you got the, 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 the number one, what I think is, is the number one, and I'm, statistically, I don't know if Tennessee's still the number one offense in the country. I know Ohio State's right there with them, but Tennessee to me is, is the number one offense in America versus a, a defense that's really, really good, but is, has shown a tendency this year on a, in about half of their games to give up more points than we thought they would. And so that's what this thing boils down to. I think I think Tennessee's offense ends up being better than Georgia's defense. I like Tennessee in that ball game as well, Trev. Um, I'm, I'm going to flip on you on the LSU-Alabama game, though. It's, it's, it's at LSU at night, and look, I mean – Brian Kelly's got me eating crow all, all year long. I, I I thought Brian Kelly and that silly ass dance he did, um, and that silly ass accent he had. Um, I, I I didn't think he'd be able to overcome that immediately at LSU. I thought it would take a little getting used to, take him a year or two to turn that thing. Clearly, he he uh, you know he proved me wrong, and clearly 
Uh, Daniels, the quarterback that he's got down there right now, is playing some really good football. I think LSU wins this ball game and upsets Alabama. Ooh, I like it. All right, well, another guy excited about Jane Daniels made the right decision. Obviously, I'm gonna go with Tennessee. I hope so. Keep Georgia out of that title game. Help out the Oregon Ducks a little bit if they're sitting outside <laughs> of an SEC championship. And then I don't know either way. I, I'll, I'll I'll lean with you and go LSU just because I'd love to see Jaden Daniels continue to have some success, especially early on. It was hard for them, but it, it's hard to to see Bama losing that one. But it, it'll be yo, fun. Uh, is it a night? Yo, this, I can't remember. Yo, this it's at night, six o'clock oh. at LSU. And here's the thing. Here here's the deal, man. LSU's defense caused they caused people some problems now, and 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 I'm and I'm gonna tell you, Alabama's defense proved to be gettable with a mobile quarterback against Tennessee. Now I'm not saying Daniels and, and LSU is Tennessee by any means, but I expect him to score some points, man. It's gonna be a hell of a football game. I just mm, LSU oh, at night right. at home, Ooh, dog. Like that's gonna be fun. All right, so I'm just going to rewind the clock a little bit. Jaden Daniels went to Michigan State, took down a ranked team on the road as a freshman, ruined Oregon CFP hopes as a sophomore. Does he do it to Alabama here? Mm. We'll find out on Saturday. I'm off to Salt Lake City. I got Arizona in their offense against Utah. See if they can keep it going as well, fellas. As always, love the time, love the dialogue for all of you. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. Enjoy your CFP Tuesday.